Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. something that Steve Brown said, and I don't know if it's original with him, but I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find food. That's all we are. That's what we're doing. Y'all, let me tell you something about today's message. Uh, I started reading this about a week and a half ago. I've been talking to anybody that would listen about it, just about, and, and the way that it's affected me. I have had more issues and difficulties in the last week and a half, distractions, things bothering me, kinds of weird things going on, fire alarms going off. I'm going to preach this sermon. If y'all need to get up and leave and go somewhere, get up and go. I am preaching this word this morning. There's a line in here that talks about he set his face. He made his mind up. If there's that much turbulence around this sermon, somebody needs to hear it. I'm preaching it. So if you got to get up, go downstairs, get up and go. If you got a class, if you got, go. I'll preach if the room's empty. Somebody on live stream's got to hear it. That's what we're doing this morning. You got a piece of paper when you came in, it looks like uh, I got crazy with crayons. That's, uh, that's kind of how I study. Our text today is uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And uh, let me set the table a little bit for the way we're, way we're studying this morning. Uh, you got the copy that's marked up. This is, this is how I do what I do. This is my starting place here. I used to print out the Scripture and uh, leave a couple of lines in between it, and I'd draw lines and arrows and circles and all this kind of stuff. But I got this crazy new software called Logos 8 that gives me access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different reference material. It's the greatest thing that I've ever run into, and it lets me draw with crayons. So I just color it now instead of underline it. I don't mean anything to y'all, but it just, you can tell it kind of floats my boat. So tried to figure out, I've worked various outlines. I've listened to several different ways people said to preach this text, and I decided, yes, uh, I decided Friday morning, throw everything in the trash and preach according to my little study sheet here. So that's going to be our outline, this. Uh, as you look at that, I want you to know there's, there's not any magic in that at all. Uh, you look at that and you go, well, I couldn't do that kind of stuff. You don't have to be a K. Arthur devotee to be able to mark up your scripture and underline. This week I use one method. Next week I'll do it different. The next week I'll do it different. There's no magic in this thing. Just stop, sit down, look through it, study it. That's what you do. So... Y'all can do the same thing that I do. My plan was to do all of chapter 9 today, but that wouldn't happen. It was just too much, and I couldn't, do, I couldn't do justice to the Scripture. This is Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. Let's, let's read it right quick. Uh, this is Daniel's prayer. Listen to how he prays. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, 
By descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God. That means he made up his mind. Seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we've sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for our iniquities and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God because your city and your people are called by your name. Like I said, my plan today was to do all of chapter 9, but that couldn't happen. It's Daniel's prayer. I don't suspect that you have ever heard anybody pray that way before. Not sincerely like that, not with those words, not 
with those thoughts. It's not how we've been trained to pray. In um, one of the resources I use is a commentary. It has the name Daniel. Uh, how about that? It's written by uh, Sinclair Ferguson and Lloyd John Ogilvy. And in their commentary, they say this. Our age has come to believe that real familiarity with God is best expressed in a casual approach or in a language that expresses how easily and informally we have entered his presence. Even the most cursory reading of this chapter should awaken us from such deception. The sad truth is that we do not pray like Daniel because we cannot pray like Daniel. If we could, we would know God as Daniel did and live as Daniel lived to the glory of God. I've heard in this church and I've heard in other churches, other places I've gone, people that start their prayer with daddy. And when they do that, I tend to cringe. Anything wrong with that? I know, Apostle Paul says in Romans, and he says in the book of Galatians, to cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. And Abba means Daddy. So is there anything wrong with it? I can't say that there is because the Scripture says to do it. But I can to say about the attitude behind it sometimes. Because when we say Daddy to Father, it is like, it is like a son walking into the house asking for the car keys to go on a date that night. Dad, I need the keys. Can I have the keys, Dad? Dad, I want to go out and have some fun. Can I have the keys, Dad? That's not the way this works. There is no flippancy from Daniel at all. There is no approaching God as though he is the magic Santa Claus to give me what I want. That is not in this scripture. You will not find it here. In this scripture is something entirely different. Now, our big idea for today is this. God's ways are not hidden. His expectations are clear. His blessings are there when we are ready to follow. God's ways are not hidden. His expectations are clear. His blessings are there when we are ready to follow. Now, as we read this, as we go through and study this prayer, these words don't really come out in it. These words are the presupposition, they're the foundation that this prayer is built on. That it's easy enough to know who God is and what he wants from us. It's easy enough to know what commandments he's got that he wants us to do. And if we want to be blessed, if we want to be blessed, we will follow his commandments. It's that simple. It is that simple. That's the, that's the underpinning of this, of this prayer. So, here we go. Deep breath. Blue highlighting. The blue highlighting on the page is a time thing. First year and must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. References to time. 25 years. Y'all, last week we were in chapter 8. This year, this week we're in chapter 9. 25 years have passed between those two scriptures. The uh, Belshazzar has had his party. The handwriting was on the wall. Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. Darius has become king. It's been one year since Darius has become the king. During that very first year, Daniel was looking at the books. He was reading his Bible, the Bible that they had at that time, verse 1 says. 
and he read what Jeremiah had written. Now, to you history guys, this is kind of interesting. It's, it's interesting to me. I knew this because I studied it in seminary, but it just never connected. Jeremiah and Daniel were contemporaries. They lived in the same time period. Jeremiah made a prophecy in 605 B.C., that said that Jerusalem was going to fall, that Judah, southern kingdom, Jerusalem, would fall to the Babylonians. And that same year, they did. And in that same year, in 605 B.C., was the first deportation to take Israelites to Babylon. And in that group of people that were taken into exile was a 15-year-old boy named Daniel. Now later, several years later, um, Jeremiah is going to be taken into exile, but he's going to go into exile in Egypt. So they are way separated. But before that time, what Jeremiah said was written down, and they considered it Scripture. At the time of chapter 9, it has been almost 70 years since 605 B.C. That's important. It's been almost 70 years. The single underlines and the green highlights are the characters of the story and what they did. Darius is the king, not significant except to tell us when it was written. But I, Daniel, is significant. Daniel was reading the book that Jeremiah had written, and as he was reading, he perceived. Now I want you to think, let's make it real and get it real so that we can, so that we can connect with the Scripture here. You have done this if you're a Christian. This has happened to you. This has happened to me. You're reading something in the Bible that you've read a million times. You've read it, you know, you studied it in Sunday school. You've heard people preach about it. You've heard it over and over. And this time when you read it, it's like the words are highlighted with sunshine. All of a sudden, it's just boom. These words mean something different. That's exactly what happened to Daniel here. He had read Jeremiah's words before, but this time he perceived that the first Babylonian exile, the one that he was a part of, was only going to last 70 years, and 70 years was about up. At the time that this was written, it was probably year 65 or 66 of the exile. And, and Daniel's stunned. He's, he's reading the Scripture, realizing that what we're going through and me being away from home for all these years is about over. But as he does that, he looks around himself, and he realizes that, wait now. So he turned his face to the Lord. Now, turned his face to the Lord means that he made his mind up. Y'all rem remember this stuff. I'm teaching you stuff. When you read the Bible and you hear these things, let this trigger in your mind. He's turned his face. It's the way they said that they made their mind up, and the mind couldn't be changed. It's the way it was going to be. Remember when Jesus was going to Jerusalem? to be crucified when he recognized it was time to do that it said that he set his face to go to Jerusalem he made his mind up there's nothing on heaven earth under the earth that could stop him or Daniel from doing what they were going to do Daniel is going to pray to God and he's going to pray until he gets an answer that's the idea he's going to pray until he gets an answer because something's missing he has seen kings come and kings go He's seen rulers come to power and rulers come out of power and nothing ever seems to change. Does that sound familiar to y'all? You can vote for Trump, you can vote for Biden, you can vote for the dog catcher down the street and 
it, it's looked this way ever since I've been a little boy. Rulers have come and rulers have gone and they all promise all these great things they're going to do for us. And then we look around ourselves and people are burning down our cities. They did that when I was in the, a kid in the 60s. Wow, we've made such progress. He's looking around himself saying the same thing. That he's looking around himself saying, Lord, if this is about over, what's going on? I don't understand. Now listen how he approaches God. Seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth of ashes. He did not say, Daddy, why aren't we free yet? He didn't say that. He also didn't say this. Daddy, I just read that we're going to be free in 70 years. And I claim in the name of that Messiah that's going to come one day that that freedom is mine. And I'm going to have that freedom, and that freedom belongs to me because it's in your word that says that that freedom belongs to me. Some of y'all are offended. Some of you watching are offended. Too bad. That's wrong. That's not the attitude that we carry before Almighty God. I don't demand anything of him. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession. This is what stopped me cold. He made confession. He's just read a promise in the scripture that says that in very short period of time, this exile is going to be over. And instead of going into all these spasms about, oh, Lord, this is wonderful, I can't wait, instead he makes confession. And in, the, in verses 3 and 4, he uses two names for God. In verse 3, he uses Lord, which is uppercase uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D, which in the Old Testament is the word Adonai, which means the creator God, the God that's in charge, the God that makes everything go. And then in verse 4, he uses capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the name Jehovah, which is the name that God gave when Moses was at the burning bush. Y'all remember that story? And Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? And, and he says, well, you just tell them that Jehovah sent you, which means the pre-existent one, the ever-existent one. It means I am, I was, I will be, this is me. And, and, and Daniel is praying using both of those names. He wants God to understand, I know who you are. You're not the one that I go in and ask, will you give me the keys to the car? I don't have that authority. You are so much bigger, so much greater, so much more than we are. His very being demands a deeper, more reverent response. Look at the red, all the red highlights now. The red highlights are all about God. Verse 4 says, O Lord, the great and awesome God. We call everything awesome. We call everything awesome. The fireworks, you go see fireworks, they're awesome. Your kid scores a touchdown, that's awesome. Your kid scores the highest grade in the class, and that's awesome. We use the word awesome like we use the word love. I love ice cream. You can tell by looking at me. I love biscuits and sausage gravy. That's also obvious by my very appearance. I love those things. That's not the sense of this word here. In this word, the word awesome, the root word for awesome is fear. The root word for awesome is fear. This word awesome means the one who inspires fear. The one who inspires 
fear. You don't walk into the one who inspires fear and say, hey, old man, can I have the keys to go on a date tonight? You don't do that. Not when you have that kind of respect. Awesome means the one who inspires fear. The red highlights, they keep telling us why. Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. When God makes a promise, he will not break it. Do you hear? Do you understand? Randy, I've heard that. I know, but do you take that to heart? When God makes a promise, he will not break it. God promised that he would love his people no matter what. I got a friend of mine. He's friends of some of y'all in here. You've probably heard him say, I love you and there is not a thing you can do about it. I love you and there's nothing you can do. You can't stop me. You can cuss me, you can be mean to me, you can ignore me, you can send me hate mail. I love you anyway, you can't stop me. And you know what? Some of y'all got folks like that in your life. I got one in my life. I was sitting there the other day trying to figure out, why do I still like this person? You know, they've sort of been a horse's patoot. And I was using another word. That person's, no, why? And yet, I'm going to love that person. And God says to all of his children that he is going to love them. There's nothing they can do about it. But God's promise comes with a caveat because of who God is. God is not a father who will give us what we want. God is a father who gives us what we need. Do you understand? We got a lot of things we want, but he gives us what we need. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. The word righteousness has been explained so many times in the church that it doesn't mean much to us anymore. Let's use this word for righteousness. It's integrity. To God belongs integrity. It means he'll do what he says he will do. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. Now think, work with me here. Mercy and forgiveness. If he can have mercy on me, and he can forgive me, that means that I'm accountable to him, doesn't it? If he can have mercy on me, and he can have forgiveness on me, then I'm accountable to him. You see, you can come up, or somebody outside the church can come up and tell me all the things that are wrong with me. And I'll thank you for your time and tell you to go away, little boy, little girl, because I you ain't my mom or my daddy. I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to God. Do you understand? He, because of who he is, we are accountable to him. But accountable to what? Verses 11 through 13. All Israel, whew, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by our truth. I've, I've mentioned Deuteronomy 28 a bunch since we've started this end of days series. Go home and read Deuteronomy 28. 
You're going to forget. I know it. Take out your phone and text yourself. Make yourself a note. Put, yourself on, put it on your calendar. Read Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is the easiest place in the world to understand how God deals with his people and what he expects from his people. Uh, the first 14 verses explains how he will bless his people. Now, when we talk about his people, we're talking about the church. The church is the new Israel. So we're talking about how he wants to bless the church and therefore us within the church. First 14 verses. God explains how he will bless his people who live with inside the bubble that he created. Y'all know we've talked about this bubble before. Inside the bubble, you can do anything you want to do. Just stay inside the bubble. Stay inside the safe zone because you know that you know that you know that you know that God created life to work a certain way and he put boundaries that make it work a certain way and when you step outside those boundaries, you will pay a price. You will. And young people, let me listen to me young people. Y'all listen to me because there's a lot of voices out there that are hollering at you guys and, and I pray that one or two of you will listen to what I'm talking about. There's a lot of things out in this world that look very, very attractive that are on the outside of what God created. You're going to want to go after them. You're going to want to pursue them. And you're going to think that they're good things to have. Let me share something with you. If you step outside of the bubble, you're in danger. If you step outside of, of what God, the way God has designed life to run, you are in jeopardy. And the things that you get that you think will be the best things that you have ever touched in your life will bite you forever, I promise. How do you know that, Randy? Because I did it. And I know. I can see God's Word in my life. When you step outside of what God, how He has designed life to be, I guarantee you, you will inherit trouble. It's the way God designed it to be. Inside the bubble, you can do anything you want to. And you'll have contentment inside the bubble. Now, in the last 53 verses of Deuteronomy 28, God explains what life will look like when we want to do it our way and we step outside the bubble, he also says the same thing in Leviticus 26. I like the way he does it in 26 because he says, if you do this, I'm going to do this to try to bring you back. And if you don't do that, if you don't come back, then I'm going to do this. And if you don't come back, then I'm going to do this. And there's six or eight things until God finally gets to the point, hear this America, when God finally gets to the point where he says, I will allow another country to overrun you. I will get your attention. That's the way God rolls because he has integrity. If we are the people of God, if we are the people of God, then it ought to be evident to everybody who looks at us that we are people of God. If we are people of God, then it ought to be evident to all who see us because we will be doing the commandments of God just as a matter of course. It's how we live. It's an unmistakable part of who we are. It just has to be. Now follow me here. Folks will argue with me that this is Old Testament. And that things have changed since the Old Testament. Cool. I'll grant you that one. Explain this to me. Red letters, words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. God's covenant with his people says that he'll love them and that there's nothing that they can do about it. But if they want to experience the blessings of life as God has designed it to be, then we've got to love him enough to do what he says to do. And because God is righteous, because he has perfect integrity, he will apply those rules perfectly to each and every one of us. Now let me throw another aside into you right quick. And I know I don't have time to do it, but you know, that's the way life runs here. I want you to understand something. If someone said, listen to me, listen to me. If any person, any group, any political party says that we are going to take God away from everything, but we are for equality, they are liars. That is straight from hell. Let me help you explain. Let me help, let me, let me explain it to you. God is perfectly, has perfect integrity. He applies all the rules perfectly to everybody. He doesn't care if you're short or tall, old or young, fat or skinny, black or white. God's rules apply across the spectrum of humanity equally. He's the only one who can apply rules equally. And if you take him out of the picture, there is no human being on this planet who can do equality the right way. If you separate God from the movement for equality in our world, you are absolutely guaranteeing that there will never be equality. You can say what you want to and argue what you will and say that God is a bigot, and I'm telling you today, he is the only one who will love you perfectly ever. Period. Where are we? Verse 5, we have sinned. This is yellow highlights. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. All the yellow highlights make the same point in different ways. Daniel understands something that modern evangelicals seem to fail to grasp. We are in the mess that we are in, whether it is a personal mess or whether it is a national mess, we are in the mess we are in because we have sinned, because we have done wrong, because we have acted wickedly, because we have rebelled. That is not an arguable point. It's just not an arguable point. If you will look at your life, and any time that you have been in a mess, I mean in a mess, go to the root cause and you'll find that there's sin underneath that mess. It's there. It is there. It's because God is righteous. He doesn't deal. No, the sin doesn't get to walk into his presence. Daniel understands that. He understands that they're in captivity precisely because they deserve it for how they didn't follow the Lord. And he understands that they've grown accustomed to living in captivity. Oh, I hope this falls on ears that will listen. Some of the exiles, like Daniel, did good for themselves. They did good in the world. They did good in this location that they were at. And they, they said, well, this is just the way things are. Listen and hear our words condemning us. Well, this is just the way things are, and we have to make the best of a bad situation. Where in the Scripture does it say that? 
Where in the scripture does it tell us just to make the best of a bad dis- situation? God says keep that he will keep the covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And when they do that, that he will bless them. There is no making the best of a bad situation. That's a fancy way of saying that we're just going to learn to get along in our sinfulness. Our sinfulness is okay, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, we're fine. That's not what God wants for us. Do you understand? That is not what God wants for us. He wants better. He doesn't want us just to get along. He doesn't want us to just make it in this world. He wants to bless us. He knows his plans for us, right? That's what he wants. Now, I've got two underlined words that are underlined with two underlines. And y'all out in the, in the vestibule, y'all just hang tight. Inhale, because all these people got to get out in a minute. To us, O oh Lord, belongs open shame. Open shame means humiliation. It means humiliation. We deserve humiliation because we rejected your ways, we rebelled against you, we reaped the consequences, and now we accept the consequences as our way of life. And you, Lord, never meant it to be that way. We deserve to stand humiliated. And then it says this, Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity. What that means is that God was patient with us, and has given us every opportunity. He's held his judgment in abeyance. He wanted us to repent and cry out for mercy, but we didn't. And because the Lord is righteous in all the works that he has done, because he has integrity, he didn't threaten us. Have y'all ever watched a parent? Listen, when y'all do this, I did it too. When y'all did this, it drives me bonkers. You tell your kids, if you don't sit down, you're going to get in trouble. And you tell them 42 times. God ain't one to tell you 42 times. God says, you're going to sit down or you're going to get in trouble. And you don't sit down and you know what God does? Well, you get in trouble. That's what integrity does. That's what God says here. He doesn't threaten and not follow through. He's righteous. We've not obeyed his words. Now we get to the orange words and we're almost in home stretch. It's where Daniel makes his request. He approaches God humbly. He acknowledges God as the master and that he isn't. He's confessed his sin and the sins of the people. Daniel understands that he has no right. Listen, we have no right to stand before God and make any kind of request or demand except for the fact that Jesus died on the cross took our sins upon himself, was buried in a tomb, was raised on the third day. That is the only thing that makes us righteous to stand before God. To walk in arrogantly is insanity because of what he did for us. You heard Daniel's prayer. Daniel made confession. He admitted straight face before the Lord that we've received what we deserve. The the, the thief that was on the cross, that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Y'all remember that guy? What was his confession of faith? He turned to the other criminal who was berating Jesus, and he says to you, says to him, you need to hush because we are getting what we deserve. And then he turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He understood that he was getting what he deserved. Essentially, he says, Lord, we see the mess that we're in. We do not present our pleas before you because of our integrity, because we have none. 
We said we'd love you and that we'd follow you. And now look at us. I don't know how to make it personal to you. I can tell you, and I'm not going to confess my sins to you. I confess my sins to God as I'm doing this. I can remember when I was wearing his name and I walked in shame. On the basis of your great mercy. In the last sentence of the prayer, he says, forgive us, pay attention and act, don't delay God because we're making you look bad. That's what the last sentence says. You need to, you need to get on with it, God. Make this thing happen because we're making you look bad. You need to rescue your name from this mess that we have made. Father, your, na- your ways are not hidden. We understand perfectly your requirements because they're plain in your word. Father, your expectations are clear. Again, Lord, we read your word, and you're very plain about what you expect from those who love you. Father, we know that because of your mercy, your blessings are there when we repent and we follow you. Brothers and sisters, our response this morning is to do as our brother Jesus exhorted us in Matthew 4, 17, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is our only way to safety. It's our only way out. Y'all pray with me. Father, we come to you and throw ourselves on your mercy this morning. Lord, so many times we've, we've come into your presence without recognizing the holiness of the one that we're coming to. And Lord, we live in in our sinfulness with a disregard of what you say in your word because, well, we're forgiven, we'll be okay. Not remembering that by doing that, that we are denying ourselves the blessings that you want to give to us. And I believe because of that, Lord, is why you let calamity come into our lives. Please have mercy on us. Please, Lord, don't let your word, don't let your word today go out in any kind of anything. Let your word touch hearts. Let your people know how much you love them and how much you want for them and how much you want them to be blessed. And that it's as simple as turning to you and asking for forgiveness and restoration and then trying to follow you with all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach this message. And keep us strong to do it one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. 
We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Oh,